Thank you, music team. Let's pray. Father, I couldn't help but think of Revelation as we sang that song and how you stand um, at the door of, of that church and you, you knock and you want to be let in by the church um, so that you can commune with them. And you want to feast with us tonight. Uh, you're among us by your spirit and we thank you just for that tremendous mercy. We don't deserve it. Um, we're humbled even by the fact that we can be here tonight and um, be assembled in your presence and be underneath the full um, full banner of your love. And we're thankful for that. We're thankful for our security in Christ and just from our study of Ephesians, just how much you love us, um, how you've raised us from the dead, given us your spirit, and made us part of the new creation. Tonight, as we look at um, some of your commands for us, uh, help us to uh, see that they're good and uh, the best thing for our lives. Um, teach us what it means to obey. It's progressive, slow, hard at times, um, but you're with us and you're going to help us. So give us insight, Lord, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good evening, and it's great to be gathered back with you in this different context. I've gotten so used to the ministry center. It's just bizarre, even though this is where I taught for the last three years. Um, It's good to be back together, though. Good to be studying the scriptures together. And uh, tonight, we're moving on from our series in marriage, but we're not moving on from Ephesians. We're just going to the next part of Ephesians. Um, To our next set of instructions, really, from Paul. So if you would, just go ahead and open to Ephesians chapter 5. Nope. Chapter 6. We made it. We crossed the threshold, didn't we? You guys thought it would never happen. But it has. (laughs) No, we've enjoyed our study together. It's been sweet. And just again, as we're just getting in here by way of introduction, you can can think of of everything we've been looking at in this chapter in Ephesians um, as, as really household instructions. Okay? Paul's instructions for the Christian home, Christian household. Because all these groups that you see at the end of chapter 5 and, and into chapter 6, all those groups would have, been, uh, would have made up the household in the, the Greco-Roman period. It's a little bit different than in our, in our context. Wives and husbands are obvious. Children and parents, which we're going to get into tonight, that's also obvious. But, but that last group, even that last group, slaves and masters would also be part of this ancient household. So just important to see, kind of, that, that's the organizing principle here in Paul's letter. And it, like we've seen in previous weeks, Paul's burden is to, is to show us how this idea that we're part of God's new creation in Christ works itself all the way down into our individual, really, household relationships. Some of the most mundane areas of life, some of the hardest relationships um, in our lives, the, the new creation, Christ, uh, by His mighty Spirit's power, is transforming the home and the relationships of the home for His glory. That's what He's doing in the new covenant. The Christian home, you could think of it, is, is a little microcosm of the larger church. 
Now, it's not a church in itself, but it's like a little microcosm. It's like a little, a little uh, represent, representation of, of the church. It's what the church is made up of, or household units. And these relationships that are, that are there either promote His glory or they detract from it. They prove that the Spirit is really filling this church, or they, it denies the Spirit's filling of the church, in other words. And in Christ, with His Spirit's filling, He intends the, the curse to be reversed all the way into the home. And so in chapter 6, Paul pivots from instructions to wives and husbands to instructions uh, to children and fathers, or parents more generally. And tonight, we're going to focus in on his instructions to the children. And I'm going to see if I can raise this pulpit up. What do you think? Anyone take bets? We can do this? Oh, maybe. Okay. Yeah, all right. We did it. Technology, yeah. Not sure about this thing. Now it's a little more my height. There we go. Um, before we launch into this passage, have you ever thought about how wild it is that Paul actually addresses kids in the church, like in inspired scripture? Have you ever thought about that? That's, that's pretty crazy. In Paul's day, kids were not valued really at all. I mean, it was kind of like, let's... In Joby's day, kids are not valued really at all. <laughs> no, so... Seriously, they weren't, and it's kind of the reverse in our culture. Sadly, uh, in, in, in a couple ways it's the reverse. In a lot of ways, it's, it's worse than the Greco-Roman culture because we kill a million children, millions of children every year, um, which is just horrific to think about. But in, a, in another way, parents idolize their children today, and uh, the children dominate the home. But in, in Paul's day, children were really kind of you know, seen, not heard kind of, kind of idea. They definitely took, took the back burner, and uh, yet here you see Paul addressing them, addressing them directly. And not only does he address them, but he exhorts them and encourages them from Scripture with some incredible truth. Now this has lots of implications, and we're not, we're not even in our outline yet, but there's lots of implications about th- this idea with children. I love this because it shows us that the children were gathered right there alongside their parents in the church, and they were expected to listen to and understand to the, to the degree that they were able and respond to what was being taught. And, and it shows us, I think, that we don't have to dumb everything down for our kids and the children of the church. It shows us that, that kids can trust the Lord and are capable of responding in obedience to Him. All right. Now we understand our theology that Christ has to renovate their hearts just like He had to renovate our hearts, but... It just it shows us we we got to be careful of, of dumbing everything down and making it very entertainment driven for our kids. But but Paul here isn't doing anything different. He's not showing any kind of different attitude than his Lord showed. Um, he t- he's taking this from Christ Himself. He shares Jesus's own view of children, which again, very counterintuitive in in the day. Jesus often, often received children, and it, it irritated his disciples. Like His disciples who understood his teaching were following him. They understood he was the Messiah. They understood, at least in part, what he had come to do. 
were irritated by how often Jesus would stop his important work and interact with children. Jesus would often highlight characteristics of children, characteristics like dependency, simple trust, um, and, and other things like that. He would highlight these characteristics, and he would tell his disciples, who were irritated, to imitate these children. Which I love that. There's so much to be learned from, from children if we humble ourselves and slow down and observe them. And I think just, just as adults, or, or growing adults here, we should, we should humble ourselves and, and, and learn to treat children with dignity. We don't idolize them, we don't make them the center of everything, but we treat them with dignity as, as little image bearers. We shouldn't view ministry toward them as, as patronizing or, or even like a stepping stone to some greater, greater area of ministry. Uh, children were significant to Christ, significant to Paul, and should be significant to us, so, so much so that he addresses them directly in, in Scripture. That was just kind of intro, um, but for us tonight, I want us to kind of zero in on, on the importance of this passage, even for you, okay? Many of you are, are, are trying to figure out exactly how to relate to your parents. Now, in this stage of life, you're at different, different stages of maturity. I realize some of you have just left the home, or are still in the home in college, maybe, or in a career. So there's, there's a lot of questions that are coming up at this stage of life. Some of you are on campus, you're not living at home anymore, maybe you go back home and face the hard reality that your parents don't quite see how independent you've become. They still treat you like a child in certain ways, maybe. Or maybe that that season's passed you, and now you wonder what obligations you have toward your parents. Maybe you're not married. Maybe you're kind of of wondering, what are those those obligations? How much should you obey them now that you're an adult, out of the house, etc.? Hopefully tonight, um, we'll, we'll try to talk through some of these things. Uh, we might raise more questions than we get answers for, and that's okay. So that's why we hang out afterwards, and uh, we'll be happy to field some of those. I'll just send you to Rich. <laughs> so tonight in our text, uh, Paul provides really just two closely related, I don't, have a, I don't have a screen back there, two closely related instructions to children. It will be in Ephesians 6. And let's just read it together, and then we'll, we'll look at it pretty closely. Ephesians 6, 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, by the way. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. And then he pivots to address fathers, which we'll talk about next time. But fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So there we have it, really two instructions to, to these children in the Ephesian church. And in, in each of these instructions, Paul's also going to provide two corresponding motivations for them, right? So he gives an instruction and then he tucks in a motivation in there for these kids to obey. And this is really typical of Paul, and it's important that we key in on that because motivations are very important, right? It's, it stimulates our obedience and helps us motor through even when it's tough. So let's look at this first one, um, this first instruction. We'll call it uh, parental obedience. This is not going to be rocket science tonight. Uh, This is very straightforward text. 
Uh, parental obedience is the first instruction. He says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. All right, you ready to go home? I'm just kidding. How many of you know the Steve Green song? How many of you are hearing that right now? Yeah. I actually didn't know that one until I had kids. Now I know it. Yeah. Well, here it is. There's instruction here and motivation right here in this, in this verse. And let's look at each of these. The instruction is um, obey by faith. I really think that's the essence of what Paul's saying here. Obey by faith to these children. Very interesting. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. So before we really unpack the, the faith side and the obedience piece, I, I want... I think one of the first curiosities as we hit this text, especially for, for people in your demographic, is um, especially if you're ready to be out from under the authority of your parents, you're thinking, what is the age limit of this word children? Right? Well, I mean, contextually, Greco-Roman world, okay, give us some nuggets here of you know, who these kids are and, and when we're ex- how, how long we're expected to do this obedience. Um. Well, <laughs> sorry, we're not given any uh, definitive ages here in the text or in the term or in the Greco-Roman period that I'm aware of. But we do have a few clues, I think, in the text itself. All right, notice just clues here, observations, that the children are told to obey in the Lord. Do you see that? And it modifies that, that phrase, in the Lord, it modifies obey, the verb. So obey in the Lord. So what does that mean? Well, this is, this is Paul's shorthand way of referring to the, the children as Christians here. Christians. He's calling them to obey in light of their faith in Christ. Or as part of their Christian discipleship, is another way you could say it. And we'll talk more about this in a second, but I think this implies that the kids that Paul's envisioning here are old enough to at least understand the basics of the gospel, the basics of trusting Christ doesn't mean that they're necessarily baptized or, or, or whatever it is, but I think he, he's understanding that, okay, these kids are, are understanding this idea of, of trusting Jesus. It's not just sort of rote obedience for them. It's coming from faith, as simplistic as that, as that may be for them. Yet, also notice down in verse 4, which is why I read it, to the verse about fathers not provoking their children to anger, but he says, bring them up, literally it's nourish them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, the father's leading the way there to, to nurture them or nourish them or raise them with this discipline and instruction. So, the fact that he uses this word nurture seems to imply, in relationship to kids, seems to imply that they're still dependent in certain ways on the care and support of their parents. You follow me? They're still dependent. That's the key word. Dependent on the care and support of their parents their families in, a, in certain ways. So, you know, in my mind, I'm just kind of mapping this out. I have a four-year-old, and he's getting some basic understandings of the gospel. I don't I mean, I doubt he's saved, <laughs> but he's asking me questions. He's understanding what it means to trust, to trust Daddy, to trust God. He can talk in those terms. And yet, Dependency can go a long time, can it? Think about financial dependence and some of those things. So this dependency is, is quite, a, quite a span. 
So in my mind, this is totally a Mackey guesstimate, I'm outside of scripture, but I'm saying between three and four and uh, old enough to support yourself. There you go. There you have it. There's the range. That's the best I can do for you, okay? And just the reality here is that I'm just, I'm, there's a lot of things we could say about this text, depending on who I'm talking to, right? If I'm talking to parents, it's going to look a lot different. But I'm talking to you guys. So many of you are in, are in what I, I call the tweener period, okay? The tweener period, meaning you're kind of in between stages. You may be an adult legally. 18, whatever that line is, but you're still dependent in various ways. Is that fair? Yeah? No? Okay. All right, good. You still live at home under your parents' house, some of you, or you live on campus, but your parents are helping pay your way, and you wouldn't be able to do it without their support. If there's still a dependency there, I think we can argue that it's safe then to say there's an obligation for you to seek to obey your parents when your desires collide. Okay, you hear me? Desires collide, so in a normal rational parent, a normal rational parent is not going to parent a 20-year-old like they would parent a 4-year-old. Okay, so typically the friction happens when desires collide. You tracking? You want to do something, your parents want you to do something different, and bam. So what do you do in that case? I think Paul would say, the broad command here is obey. Obey your parents in the Lord. And we're going to nuance this a little bit at the end, but for now, I want, I, want to, I want you to let this rest on you. It's God's ordering of the home here. There's an authority structure in the home and in the family, and I think dependency is the key. But before we get wrapped around the axle on this, I want you to make another observation, and, and this obedience that Paul's calling for is really a re-observation, is, a, is an act of faith, okay? He's telling the children to obey in the Lord. And this means that it's part of your discipleship with Christ to obey your parents. As mundane as that sounds, this is, this is part of, of your discipleship with Christ, ultimately. How so? Well, you realize that Christ, the same Christ that stands at the head of this section, that Christ has ordained the family and the family, the family structure. He's ordained your uh, parental setup, if you will, with all their blessings and weaknesses that come with it. Christ has arranged that. You might wish they were a little less hovery, or they gave you more freedom, or, or took more interest in your discipleship. But your parents, your parents, the ones you have, are ordained by Christ. And He calls you to trust Him, to trust Christ, as you seek to obey them. And that's what Paul means when he says obey in the Lord. Does that make sense? And he's not saying it's easy. You better believe that obedience takes faith. Okay? It takes faith. It takes faith to wrestle your will to the ground to follow something your parents think is best when you prefer another option. It's hard. And I think it only gets easier to justify disobedience. The, the older you get, the more like adultish you feel in your heart. It only gets easier to justify. Easier to justify sin. Again, we're going to nuance this in a bit, but 
But we've got to let this cut against our pride before we start nuancing this command. Does it make sense? Because we all think we know what's best, especially youth, like younger folks. They just The Lord has to humble us. And in all this, we have to see Christ standing behind our parents, beckoning you to ultimately trust Him as you resign your will to obey your parent while you're under their authority, while you're in this dependent stage. He sees that humility. Christ sees it. And remember, this is evidence of His Spirit filling the church. Is how you're interacting in those little mundane areas in your family life. He sees the humility and he promises to reward you, as we're going to see in in a minute. Now, the motivation here is important, even in this first first instruction. And the motivation is, it's appropriate. Like, this is right. Uh, it's, it's, It's good. It's the way God's designed it. I'm just calling it appropriateness is the motivation. And look at what Paul says in the, in the verse. Obey your parents, for this is right. And it's really setting up where he's going to go next. It's right to do this. He's passionate. Paul's passionate about this because he knows it's the right thing to do. It's appropriate for children to obey their parents. It's the way it should be according to God's design. Everything's going to function better if this is, if this is happening in a Christian home. And that's the motivation he gives to obey this, this initial instruction. Now, I think, you know, you, you stand back, even if you're not, you're not parents, you know, you can kind of stand back. You've all seen, you've all had that grocery store experience, right? No, you know where I'm going. It happens, you know, you got the parent trying to manage their, their kids, and then it's like little Johnny just rebels right there in the middle of the grocery store. And you're not watching little Johnny anymore. You're watching little Johnny's mom or dad. You're like, how are they going to, what are they going to do? You know, how are they going to respond? And it's just, there's something, I mean, there's, there's obviously very humbling for a parent, and you never get it, you're never going to get it completely right, and there's always, some, the Lord's always working in your heart through this scenario. But you know there's something really wrong when that kid just like spits in the face of the parent, and the parent's like, oh, I'm sorry, and the parent starts apologizing, don't you? It's just so messed up when you see the child able to control the parent and manipulate them. We know it shouldn't be this way. Every human being in down, down deep knows that it shouldn't be this way. Now, the fact that we even tolerate this at all in our culture shows you how far gone we are. It shows you how far we've drifted from the truth. And, and no, no kidding, all right? So just... Make us laugh instead of cry. I googled uh, a phrase and found this article on child-directed parenting. I think I must like live in a hole because this doesn't. I didn't even know this was a thing. This article, kid you not, said that we are we're, we're told in this article to respect our toddler's choices, <laughs> avoid authoritarian commands like no, and I kid you not. Ignore negative behaviors and use praise, reflection, reporting, and imitation to positively influence your child's behavior. That dude has no kids. 
No, I don't know. It just, but it's just sad. I mean, that's like really, really sad. That's not right. And we know that. It, it perverts God's design, and it's absolutely devastating to the child. Like, it's the worst thing for that child. Now, compare what we just read to what the Old Testament says about disobedience with children. In the Old Testament, a child, and probably a, a, an adult child's violent behavior toward his parents was punishable by death. Exodus 21.15. And Proverbs, in its colorful language, warns, The eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. In Romans, Paul says that people who are disobedient to parents are in the same category as those who are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, and inventors of evil. Romans 1.30. So even, even if that hits us, as hard as that is to hear, it's helpful, isn't it? To just have like, whoa, a refreshing view of, okay, this is, this is not good. And, and it's helpful because it humbles us out of the gate to realize that our disobedience and refusal to bend, refusal to heed what parents say is because we think we know better. And it reveals that we're operating outside of God's created order, that we're stoking the pride in our hearts. And if we're not careful, we are inviting the rebuke of God, the plucking out of our eyeballs by the ravens. And it's motivating to know that, that obedience is the right thing here. That it's, it's right, it's proper, it's appropriate in God's created order. It motivates us. So, as fun as that was, let's move on. Um, we've got another one here. We've got another instruction. Paul's got one more for us to imitate. And that's, that's similar to the first one, but with a different nuance. And we're going to call this one parental honor. Parental honor. Look with me again in verse 2. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Short verse, a little bit to unpack here. Honor your father and mother. That's the, that is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Well, remember where we're, we're flowing. Okay, this next instruction is just honor. Honor father and mother. So Paul's just said it's right to obey, and then he pivots and provides some Old Testament scriptural justification for it in this next verse. Essentially what's happening. So obey and then Old Testament justification. And he's quoting here from Exodus 20.12. You can write that down if you're taking notes. Exodus 20.12 It's going to be important. Quoting from Exodus 20.12. And there may be, there may be uh, another, he may be bringing some wording from Deuteronomy over as well, but Exodus, I think, is the main one. And as he alludes to this text, he's, he's introducing really another instruction. So this is why I'm calling it like a second instruction. It's a command in the text, and I think that's how Paul intends it here, even though it's, he's quoting the Old Testament. And the instruction is to honor parents, it's to honor them. So what does that mean? And how is it different than obedience? Or is it different than obedience? Well, I'd say that 
contextually, like right here, there's not a lot of daylight between these two words for the dependent child. Not a lot of daylight, okay? To honor is to obey, and to obey is to show honor, right? Imagine like trying to do one without the other. It doesn't, doesn't really work. But, but the word itself does have a slight nuance of difference. To honor is not the exact same as obey. It, it means that to honor someone means that we revere them. We hold them in awe or we esteem them highly. We place high value upon them. And, and really, it, it, it gets deeper than obey. It gets at the attitude of our obedience or our disposition. It, gets, it goes more internal in a way that just mere obedience doesn't. It's very similar to the idea of fearing someone, as in respecting them, that we've seen in, in the instruction to the wives. Remember? Remember how he said back in um, verse 33 of chapter 5, let each husband love his wife as himself, and let the wife see to it that she, and the word here in the ESV is respects, but it's literally fears her husband. She, she, she fears her husband. And then now drop down to the, to the bond servants in, ver, in chapter 6, 5. He says to obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart. So this concept of fear, and in this case with the children, honor, it's, it's very, very similar. That that's, that's supposed to characterize our obedience or our submission, depending on what category of, of person you are here. And, and remember that this reverential honor that Paul is commanding is, is, uh, is flowing out of our, our reverential honor for Christ. Remember that? The flow of thought here in, if you go back, you remember this whole household section starts up here in verse 21 of chapter 5, where he's saying, submitting to one another out of, here's the word again, fear for Christ, reverence for Christ. And then he gets into the, the, the descriptions of the wives and husbands, children and, and fathers and slaves and masters. So this fear of Christ is to characterize our relationships with one another. And it drives our relationships. And in particular, it drives the children to fear their parents in a reverential sense. And it's, it's driven by this fear of Christ. Well, how so? How is our honoring of our parents driven by our, our fear of Christ? Well, we realize that Christ, our King, has ordered the world with various authorities. It's His world. He created the family. He knows what He's doing. And we believe that that order is good. It's because Christ did it. And we revere Him. And in the home, the authority is the parents in general and the father in particular. And so the children are called here to recognize this. Now this is really helpful. Really helpful. Why? Well, sadly, certain parents are, are not inherently respectable or worthy of honor in themselves. I mean, just, that's just a reality. I wish it weren't so, but that's often the case, especially as we're being saved out of un, unbelieving homes and, and backgrounds. Perhaps um, parents are genuinely hypocritical. Or they, they have unrepentant sin that they've just never dealt with. They failed to provide and take care of their family in the most basic ways. 
In those situations, it's, it's difficult for the child to show honor. I mean, it's, we have to acknowledge that. Like, it is, it is hard. But if we recognize that the position itself of parent is honorable, that goes a long way, even if the office holder isn't honorable. If we recognize that, then we are still able to show honor for Christ's sake. Because he, he created the institution. He created the office. He created that role. And it's the role that he, it's the parent that he placed over us. We can still show honor for Christ's sake. We can still, one author put it, salute the uniform, even if it doesn't quite fit the one who's wearing it. Now, if we're talking about honor, that means we've got to be on guard. So if Paul's commanding this of children, it means we're going to struggle with it. right? So anytime you see a command in Scripture, a little nugget, you just know that your heart's going to struggle with that. That's why it's there. Okay? So... We've got to think through uh, and be on guard for dishonorable behavior, dishonorable attitudes, don't we? We roll our eyes in contempt sometimes at our parents. We lash out when we feel slighted. We clam up. We're misunderstood. We're tempted to write off the correction that they give us. We're not listen when they're talking to us or walk away mid-conversation. We do all kinds of things that dishonor our parents. We've got to be recognizing that. We want to be sensitive to those things and be uh, brought to conviction and repentance over those things for the sake of Christ and the flourishing of, of, of the family. And instead of those dishonoring attitudes, we want to be cultivating humility and, and, and honoring kinds of attitudes toward our parents and that flow out in honoring, honoring ways, right? Honoring actions toward them. I mean, there's, I mean, there's a, literally an endless list, but just, I'll give you some that'll get the juices flowing maybe. We want to seek to understand our parents, when they're coming to us, rather than just automatically thinking we know and, and writing them off. We want to express thanks to God for them. We want to consider their counsel, heed their rebukes. We want to be part of the solution for problems within the family, not just to automatically assume it's not our fault. We want to initiate an acts of love toward our, toward our parents and our families. And there's just, again, the, the list is endless of ways we can honor. Now, Paul doesn't stop here. He continues with some motivations, just like in the first, the first command. And we'll call this motivation future inheritance. Future inheritance. And we're going to see this is some pretty serious motivation here. Once we understand it. Now, I'm going to ask that you hang with me. Okay? You don't really have a choice, but don't tune out. It's really important. All right? We're going to get into this text, and it can be a little bit confusing because you read this, and if you don't, if you kind of just kind of read it straightforward and then you keep going, you don't really think about it. It's not that confusing. But when you begin to think about it, you're like, what is this? What is he saying here? Honor your father and mother. So he's quoting now from Exodus. Honor your father and mother. Verse 3, that it may go well with you, that's still the quote, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Or live long on the earth. So there's some, there's some variations on what people think this means. Some people will say that this is more of a principle. A principle. 
that if you obey and honor your parents, then generally things are going to go well for you. You're going to have a longer life. Your eyes won't be picked out by the ravens. Now, they would say there are exceptions, but on the whole, you're going to have a better chance at success in life. It will go well for you. And I, I definitely think that's a true principle, <laughs> um, just on the face of it. At least your parents won't be as tempted to kill you for your disobedience. You might just survive longer. But I think Paul is saying much more than that here in how he's using this text in, in the context. But before we unpack that, I, I just want to look at a little closer at what Paul is actually quote, quoting from. Let's check out the original context of this source back in Exodus 20. So if you would, it's there, so I don't have to bend over every time. Exodus 20, turn, turn in your Bibles back there. <clears throat> Exodus 20, 12. And you'll recognize where this is coming from when you, when you turn back there and see... It's part of the Ten Commandments, or Ten Words, that the Lord gave to Israel at Sinai. <clears throat> and he is saying here, so notice the context. Again, they're at Sinai. The Lord's delivered them out of Egypt. He's covenanting to them on the mountain. He's giving them commands that are part of the covenant stipulations for them to be faithful as sons. And part of that is for the children to honor their parents. So, honor your father and mother, verse 12, that your days may be long in the land, listen to this, that the Lord your God is giving you. So, blessing, it will go well with you, that's what that means, blessing and long life in the land of Canaan, is promised to Israelite children as a reward for honoring their parents. Pretty straightforward? You see that? Okay. And remember, in the context, to honor parents is part of covenant stipulations in the Ten Commandments that God gave to Israel. It's part of the covenant stipulations, meaning... That obeying parents is part of being faithful covenant partners. As their reward for their obedience as sons, they would inherit blessing and long life in the land of Canaan. Israelites. Okay? And this language, I think it's really important that we notice this, this language that your days may be long in the land, that it may go well with you. That's, I think he's picking that up from Deuteronomy, because that's not here in this text. That it may go well with you, and you, that your days may be long in the land. That language is not just a reward for children who obey their parents. That language is all over the place in this, these covenant stipulations for rewards for obedience to the covenant in general. So these same promises of long life in the land and blessing are given to the entire nation, in other words, if they are faithful to the covenant. So you can leave Exodus and flip over to Deuteronomy 4. 
just want to show you one example of many of this. Deuteronomy 4.40. Again, this is, this is really like the recovenanting of the nation in Deuteronomy. So they, they were on Sinai, were given the law, immediately worshipped a calf in the, in the wilderness. Commandments were broken, <laughs> like literally and figuratively. And, you know, God is ready to destroy Israel. Moses intercedes. And then they get up to the edge of the land. You know, God's merciful. They get up to the edge of the land. Send spies in. The spies are too afraid to go in the land. So now they're, now they're you know, judged again for 40 more years. So that generation dies so the children can inherit the land. And in Deuteronomy, it's a reminder of all of that. They're on the edge of the land, ready to go in after the 40 years. Okay, it's time to go in. So just to remind you, okay, what your forefathers were not able to grasp, that if you keep his statutes, verse 40, therefore you shall keep his statutes and his commandments, you need to be a faithful covenant partner, which I command you today, that it may go well with you and with your children after you, and that you may prolong your days in the land that the Lord your God is giving to you for all time. Okay? So it's for Israel. Now, not just the kids, but for Israel, as they're faithful to the covenant, as, a fa- as faithful sons. Right? You see that? Make sense? Okay, it's a building here, so it's important. So the land and life in it are part of Israel's promised inheritance as God's sons. Okay? Blessing and life, long life in the land are part of God's promised inheritance to Israel as sons, if she is faithful. And you can write down Psalm 105.11. We won't turn there. Psalm 105.11, Psalm 135.12, Psalm 136.21 and 22, that all connect the idea of inheritance with the land. Inheritance with the land. But what's really interesting is that the promises don't stop with just the land of Israel. In the Old Testament, it says, as Israel is faithful, not only will they inherit Canaan and live long in that land, but they will also be exalted above all the nations, all the other nations, and they will, quote, possess the gate of their enemies. That's from Genesis. Genesis twenty two seventeen, and it's repeated again in Genesis twenty four sixty. They will possess the gate of their enemies. This is to the nation of Israel. You see this again in the, the king of Israel in Psalm two that he's going to inherit the nations. They're going to be given to him. In Daniel seven, you see this again. In Daniel seven, we're going to see this later. The Israelite king, the one like the son of man, is going to be given the nations. So in other words, according to the Old Testament, Israel is promised a universal rule, a worldwide dominion, if they are faithful. And this is why Paul says that Abraham wasn't just promised Canaan only, but that he and his offspring would be heirs of the world in Romans 4.13. Romans 4.13, he calls Abraham the heir of the world. 
And people say, well, he's just sort of spiritualizing what's going on. No, he's not. He's an exegete of his Old Testament. He understands the promises. Abraham and his offspring would be heirs of the world. And this is very, very important to note. So, put that on the back burner. After Israel enters the land, okay, we're back, back here, okay? Israel goes in, gets settled in, cleanses Canaan. What happens? Are they faithful? No, they're not. Israel and her kings were unfaithful to the covenant. They did not keep it. And as a result, they were exiled from the land many years later, as we would expect. Just like God said would happen if they were unfaithful. And they received the covenant curses instead of blessings. And they did not live long in the land. But as God promised, he sent a Messiah who would represent Israel, a king, in obedience, where they could not obey, and he died for her disobedience. Thus securing all of the covenant blessings, including long life in the land. You tracking? Isaiah, still in the Old Testament, Isaiah says the Messiah will establish the land to apportion the desolate heritages, meaning inheritance. He's going to rework this land, Isaiah 49, 8. Meaning he's going to renew and rebuild the inheritance that was made desolate by the exile. So the Messiah will do. This is the Old Testament. And then he goes on to say, Isaiah does, that this king is bringing about the new creation. That's what he calls this renewal of the land. The new creation, Isaiah 65, 17. The final restoration of the curse of Genesis 3. And in this new creation, the renewed land, the offspring of Israel will live forever. Isaiah 66, 22. So this is why when Jesus enters the scene, He can promise His followers that they will inherit the earth. The meek shall inherit the earth. Matthew 5, 5. It's why John describes believers in Revelation as reigning with Christ upon the earth in Revelation 5.10 and not just the land of Israel because it was always intended to encompass the earth. This is the promised future inheritance that awaits those who have believed in their Messiah. It will include the land of Israel, but it will go beyond it. To the entire earth. Now you might be wondering, like, what am I doing? Like, why am I going into all this? Well, look back at our text, okay? So flip back to Ephesians if you're not there. Paul promises to believing children, Gentile children, might I add, children in the Lord members of the New Covenant, that it will go well with them and they will live long on the earth, using the language of of Exodus 20. So, in light of everything we've just said, is Paul promising that you'll just live a longer life now if you obey your parents? I don't think so. I think Paul is using this language to refer to life in the new creation. Life in the future. The renewed land 
that we will inherit in glorified physical bodies. And I think this, not just because of this text, but because of what Paul's already told us in the letter. If you flip back to chapter 1, chapter 111, Paul is describing in chapter 1 all of the new covenant blessings we have obtained in and through the work of the Messiah that Isaiah and everybody else talked about in the Old Testament. And he's saying we get to participate in that. We get those benefits. And one of them, in verse 11, is we have obtained an inheritance. We have obtained an inheritance in him, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I want you to key in on we have obtained an inheritance in him, that is, in the Messiah. Well, what is that? Look down in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, when, you, when that happened, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So notice, promised Holy Spirit, that's one of the gifts of the new covenant, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So do we have the inheritance yet? According to this text? No, we do not. But we have the Spirit He's the down payment and guarantee that we're going to receive it, but we don't have it yet. So it's future. Inheritance is future. We're awaiting the inheritance. But, but we're Gentiles, right? We're not Jews. So how can this refer to us? Well, Paul deals with that too. Didn't God make all those land promises to Abraham to the Jews? Yeah, he did. Aren't they covenant people? Yes, they are. But guess what? In the Messiah, God has joined us together with believing Jews. Remember? He went there in chapter 2. Paul says that we were once in excluded, listen to this language, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise. Chapter 2, verse 12. But now we have been brought near as Gentiles, brought near by the blood of Christ. Chapter 2, verse 13. And He has made us into one people with the Jews, alongside the believing Jews, together with them, as one new humanity. And as a result of the incorporation into the Messiah, as a result of, of His work on our behalf, Paul says that we Gentiles are no longer strangers and aliens. We once were. But now we are fellow citizens with the saints, with the, that's believing Jews, the saints, and get this, we are fellow heirs. Fellow heirs. And fellow partakers of the promise, chapter 3, verse 6. Fellow heirs and fellow partakers of the promise, meaning that we as believing Gentiles share in those promises, meaning we will inherit the same things originally promised to the Jews, i.e. the world. And that's because we're people of the new creation. Paul's been arguing that this whole book. So, even in this very letter, Paul has told us that we Gentiles will share in inheriting the renewed land. The new creation. And here in our text, back in Ephesians 5, Six, 
back in Ephesians 6, he's promising this as, as, the, as the reward of children who obey their parents. They will live long, we will live long, you will live long, live eternally upon the earth. This raises another question. Well, uh, wait a minute. I thought we just said that the Messiah earned all that for us. Right? Didn't he? How is, then, how is this then a reward for those of us who obey our parents? Well, you can think of it like this. Your obedience to your parents proves that you have the Spirit. Remember? Your obedience, your ability to do that out of your fear of Christ proves that you're alive. Proves that you've been raised from the dead, Ephesians 2. It's proof that the Holy Spirit has actually been given to you as a down payment of your inheritance. He's made you sensitive to honor them when before you were not. You may have done it externally, but there was no internal sensitivity to it. Before, you didn't really care if you were honest, but now something has changed in Christ. He's made you sensitive to honor them. Now you seek to obey them. Imperfectly? Oh, yeah. But it's on your radar. It's a deep desire. You're finding yourself now going back to them and asking for them to forgive you. You're confessing deceits to them when beforehand you're just happy to get away with it. Now you seek to obey your parents. When you fail, you confess and repent to them. That's all evidence of the Spirit. And the Spirit is the guarantee of your inheritance. So in other words, when we are growing and honoring our parents, it demonstrates and assures us that we are part of those who will inherit the new earth. So think about that next time you're struggling to obey your parents. When you obey them, even when you have to wrestle your will to the mat, right, to do it, even when they may not even deserve to be honored. Do you see what is happening? You are putting God's incredible glory on display as a, as a child of the, of the covenant. You're fulfilling the law, and you're demonstrating the radical power of the Spirit right there in your little corner of the universe. <laughs> And you're revealing that you're a son or daughter of glory. Of glory. A son or daughter who will inherit everything you see. And Paul wants you to have this vision. The kids. He wants the kids to have the vision. To see what they're going to inherit. As motivation to obey their parents. Isn't that incredible? May we as parents instill a vision in our kids. He wants you to see it. He wants you to seek humility with your parents and to seek honoring them.
All right, well, I want to wrap this up. I, I promised you that we would get into some of the weeds. Let me wrap this up with some final nuances, right? <laughs> That's so lame. Final nuances. But you know what you're getting when you come here. So, all right, final nuances. Number one, okay, what do we do with all this? Don't sin in order to obey your parents. That's not what Paul's saying here. Okay? We don't want to misconstrue what Paul's saying. You don't have to sin. If your parents ask you to sin, don't. Okay? Matthew 10, 37 says we've got to be willing to deny father and mother and children for the sake of Christ. Christ says he will divide families when he comes. It's hard. So our ultimate loyalty is with him. And we obey for his sake. So we do not sin against him in order to obey a lesser authority of our parents. Now again, that's, we're getting the weeds there. It's tough. Okay? I get it. Thankfully, you're part of a healthy church in this context. And you can make appeals to church leadership. And if necessary, you can make appeals to the state. And I'm thinking of things like abuse situations where parents want to cover it up. And they want to command their kids to lie about it in some like demented, twisted way and use the Bible to do that? That's messed up. So don't have your consciences torqued over that if that's you. There are other, other channels to, to appeal to out of that. And so if you have questions or that's happening, please come talk to us. Paul's not saying sit there and be silent in the face of, of sin and, and horrific things that are happening in your family life. He's not saying... Uh, or, I should say, don't think that you automatically deserve freedom from your parents when you cross some artificial threshold. I'm going to explain that. I'll give you a chance to write it down. <laughs> That's a long one. I was, trying to sand that, I was trying, trying to sand that puppy down, but it ran out of time. So, threw it all the way in there. Don't think that you automatically deserve freedom from your parents as like a Right? Because you, you cross some artificial threshold. I hear this a lot. But Kelly, my parents are so fill in the blank. They treat me like a kid when I go back home. They don't realize I'm an adult now that I've gone to college. Artificial threshold. There's so much clashing when I go back home. Gosh, I'm 20 now. Artificial threshold. It's so hard to honor them when they don't treat me like an adult. Right? It's tough. I'm not saying it's not hard. But I want you to see these are artificial thresholds. It means nothing. Okay? Ask yourself this very difficult question. Are you actually acting more like a child or an adult? Okay? Which one is it? Examine your heart and life before you accuse your parents of trying to micromanage you. Because they might have to micromanage you. Here's a principle that if you get it, will change your life. You ready? Freedom comes from consistent faithfulness, wisdom, and integrity. Freedom comes from consistent faithfulness, wisdom, and integrity. Many young people I've talked to think that they deserve freedom and trust from their parents simply because they turn a certain age, like it's a right, but they're still acting a lot like children, more like children than adults, and they haven't earned really any credibility with their parents. Or they might think, like, one wise decision is the counterweight to, like, 50 bad ones. 
like, oh, I did. I'm a, I'm a band now. Like I'm, you know, it's like, <laughs> whoa. Like let's let's just let's just be realistic here, okay? So, I just I want you to to know that, okay? Credibility is earned over time through faithfulness, wisdom, and integrity. And so instead of instead of like falling into this self pity mode of like, oh gosh, just my parents just don't understand, they don't, yada yada, yada and I'm just gonna go play some video games. Instead of doing that. Work hard at setting an example to them of your faithfulness. Complete your assignments. Go to bed. Wake up on time. Get your laundry done. Get a job. Be faithful at it. Get good grades. Treat your parents with respect. If you don't know what to do, if you're like, oh, they just don't think I'm faithful, ask them. They will tell you. And there you go. I just say, okay, now rank them for me. Like, what's the most important? And then start on that one. Because you, even the question will begin to say, whoa, different from my kid. Like, now they're taking some responsibility. So if you get after it here, more times than not, okay, it's not, it's not every time, but more times than not, parents start giving more leash. Okay? So don't fall into this trap of thinking that you automatically deserve freedom from your parents, just like as a right. All right? Number three, don't remain passive about unhealthy or unhelpful situations. Don't remain passive about unhealthy or unhelpful situations. And I'm, I'm, I said it that way, unhealthy or unhelpful, so it, it gives you some gray. It's like, okay, maybe my parents aren't sinning against me, but it doesn't seem, doesn't seem good. Like, it's, it's, it's really grating. You know, there's some things wrong. I don't really know what's going on. So I would just say, I think the Bible would instruct us, don't remain passive about these things. What do I mean by that? Well, you've got to initially see the way the Lord is sanctifying you in that situation. You've got to see Him in it, and you have to learn to rejoice in the growth that He's producing in you in that situation. You can't just think, once my circumstances change, I will be all better. Because your heart's going to go right with you. And the Lord's going to put you in another circumstance, and your little heart is going to respond the same way. Okay? And then you're going to be doubly discouraged. So, saving you from that, the Lord's sanctifying you in that situation if it's unhealthy or unhelpful. But, let me say this, let me add this to it. Seek to set yourself up to be independent of your parent, i.e. not dependent on them. You don't do it resentfully, but that's a good thing. Maturation, growth, like being supported on your own. Go get a job. Move out with some people. Be wise in how you do this, though. Don't take out all kinds of loans just because you can't stand living at home. You know, and just get buried with debt because you just you think you just got to get out of there when you don't realize, like, your heart's the issue, most likely. But I'm not saying just because your heart's the issue, you can't be working on that and also trying to get some independence. Just don't make a decision out of anger or unbelief, okay? So you can work to better your situation, though. So don't remain passive. And in the meantime, still under this point, actually, I think I, oh yeah, look at that. Learn to make humble and honoring appeals while you're in the situation. Learn to make humble and honoring appeals while you're in the unhealthy or unhelpful situation. So how do you do that? Like, what does that look like? 
an appeal. I've never appealed in my life. I just yell at them or they yell at me or whatever. That's not good. Okay? It's fleshy. So, what does an appeal look like? Can you see that? (laughs) It's pretty small. All right, I'll read it to you. Acknowledge what your parents desire from you. Okay? Meaning, humbly acknowledge what it is that your parents want when when there's the collision. So it sounds like this. Okay, I know, Mom and Dad, that that you don't want me to go on the trip with my friends. I know that you don't think it's good for guys and girls to go overnight together to places. I know that you don't want that, and you're telling me I can't go on this event. But internally, you had your heart set on this trip, so it's really hard to even say that. It's really hard to even give that ground, right? Because you had your heart set on it, your parents don't even realize what kind of trip it is, and, and you're tempted to respond sinfully in the flesh in that moment, but instead, humbly acknowledge what your parents, what it is that your parents have a problem with, to show them you, you understand. And it, it, that's legitimate. Okay? And instead of this, exercise some self-control and then ask if you can make an appeal. Ask if you can make an appeal. Say something like, Dad, you know, I realize you think this trip's not a good idea. And you don't want me to go. And you know what? I'm planning to obey you. Like, that's got my heart right, you know, and I'm going to obey. But could I just make an appeal to you to reconsider with some additional information? You hear how humble that is? Hey, I'm going to obey. I trust the, I trust the authority structures. I'm going to put myself completely at your disposal. But can I make an appeal? Can I... Can I ask you a question? Can I ask you to consider something else um, that might affect it? If it doesn't, that's okay. Ask if you can make an appeal. And then, if they agree to hear you out, okay? If they agree, if they don't, you just got to get that, you just got to put it out of your mind, okay? But if they agree to hear you out, while you're trying to get out of this situation, right? Um, So if they agree to hear you out, humbly give your additional data or reasoning, okay? So, Dad, okay, the reason I want to go on the trip is because it's the boundless retreat with our church in the fall, in November, and the registration's available. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be good. It's a retreat. I don't think you knew that. I think you just heard it from my sister that I was going to try to go hang out with some girls, you know? I just want you to know that the guys and the girls are staying in separate buildings and there are lots of leaders going and we want to hear the word of God and grow together. Don't say it like that, but you get the point. You're adding additional info that you think would be helpful. So the new data may cause your folks to reconsider because you've appealed humbly, you've appealed with grace, you've appealed in full submission to them, you've honored them in it, you've honored their role. So then you have to allow them to reconsider and obey whatever your parents decide. And at this point, just got to underscore here that if you don't get your way, don't resort to the flesh and trying to manipulate them. Sulking, 
blowing up, you know, silent treatment, whatever it is that you do to try to get your way with your parents. Don't do that. Trust the Lord. Obey Him. And then if you think your parents are just consistently unreasonable with you, as you're working on your heart, try to, try to better your situation by, by gaining some independence. And then you're no longer bound to obey the house rules of mom and dad because you are independent of them. Now, last thing I'll say, I think, yeah, don't think it is exclusively on you to change your parents as you're growing in Christ. Don't think it's exclusively on you to change your parents because it's not. Why do I bring this up? We're going to end here on this one. There's not like a secret slide with 20 more, 20 more points. <laughs> All right, it's, it's so easy when you situate yourself, uh, whether it's college, more, more, probably more so like in, in a healthy church that's giving you teaching and discipling you, and you're, you're plugging in and you're starting to grow in the Lord and in discernment in the ways of God. It's so tempting then, as your mind is renewed, to, to begin to see issues with your family that you came out of or a home church scenario that you're coming out of. Super common because, unfortunately, the norm is not health, right? Sin and dysfunction are the norm. What we have here at this church and other healthy churches in the, in the area and, and in the country are just, sadly, anomalies. Like, they're, they're rare. So you come into this environment by God's grace. You start learning by God's grace. Then you, 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 you start saying, like, wow, there's all these issues. And then you take it upon yourself to try and go and totally change your parents, like in an afternoon conversation. Or you, you kind of, maybe you're not brave enough to do that, and you sort of begin resenting them in your heart. You don't really want to be around them anymore. You're embarrassed by them when they're around your, your new group or you introduce them to your church. Those would be the wrong responses, dishonoring responses. You have to remember that God placed you in your family, and even if it isn't ideal, He has supplied so much mercy to you in that scenario. The only reason that you're growing is because He has opened your mind and heart to the Scriptures. That is the only reason. So, we want to have that same humility as we go back to our families and to our churches, especially if they're not on the same page as us. And I think the humility is key to just underscore, because when you're humble, a number of things are going on, and a number of things are going to be helpful. So what do you do if you start seeing that you're believing something different than your parents, or, or there's starting to be some, a divide here that's growing? Well, I'd, I'd just say a couple things. Go in and share what you're learning with them, and particularly how it's transforming your life and how the, how the Lord's producing fruit. So share the good fruit with them and the truth that's fueling that, and the ways that you're changing as a result of the truth. Share your joy with them. And then, and then try, to, try to get into conversations with your, with your family about how they're thinking through specific passages of Scripture. Like, okay, what do you do with that? Genuinely want to know. Want to understand why you think the way that you do about this passage or this element of the church or, or whatever it is. And pray, pray, pray. Pray all the time for them. Pray that the Lord would open their, their heart because that puts it back on him, and you realize, okay, he's got to work. And if he doesn't, then I can't, I can't do anything about this. 
But he, he may even use you as an instrument in their life. And then identify as many positives as you can about your family. If, if you need to, write them out. And praise God for them often in prayer. Like Just bring those things before. Thank Him for those things that you see in your family. And then affirm those things to your own family. As hard as it may be to say, affirm those things that you're thankful for that God has done. Especially if you're in an unhealthy scenario. And then last thing, take a long view of change. Okay, Long view of change and be patient with them as you entrust them to the Lord and to, to produce fruit. And just trust the Lord, okay? Because you're going to make mistakes. You're going to come in with grenades. <laughs> and the Lord's going to override your grenade because um, he's, a, he's a gracious shepherd, okay? So you, you can't, you're not going to do it all right. But I just, I want to try to equip you as best I can, just the, 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 kind of the foray here of, of don't, it's not all on you to kind of go back in that environment and, and really change your, change your folks. So that was just sort of a grab bag of nuances there at the end um, that I could work into this topic. And we'll move on to, to thinking through um, next week, thinking through parents and their responsibility to the children, especially as if you ever want to have family one day. It's good to know that. And, um, and so, yeah, lots of other reasons too, but let's pray. Father, we're, we're humbled um, by this task, but yet we're encouraged. We're encouraged at the, at the hope that we have through your power in us, through the Spirit, to, to make us into people, to make us into children even, that obey and honor our family, even if we are out of the house and financially independent and all those things, families of our own. We want to honor our parents. I think about what you say in First Timothy about making a return, oh, just older, older children making a return to their parents for all the ways that the parents served and nurtured them growing up as we care for them in their old age. That's just flowing out of this desire to honor them. And we never escape that, Lord. We never, we never want to get past that attitude. So may our families, may our extended families be characterized by that on our part um, of being obedient when, it, when you, you require it, and, and always honoring. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.